We were all baptized by one Holy Spirit. And so, and so we, we are, are formed, formed into, into one, one body. There is one body, but it has many parts. But all its many parts make up one body. It is the same with Christ. We, we were, were all baptized by one Holy Spirit, Spirit and, and so we are formed into one body. It didn't matter whether we were Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free people, we were all given the same spirit to drink. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. Any bo a body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. Suppose the foot says, I'm not a hand, so I don't belong to the body. By saying this, it cannot stop being a part of the body. And suppose the ears say, I'm not nice, so I don't belong to the body. By saying this, it cannot stop being part of the body. We, we were, were all baptized by, by one Holy Spirit, Spirit and, and so we are formed into one body. If the whole body were an eye, how could it hear? If the whole body were an ear, how could it smell? God has placed each part of the body just as he wanted it to be. If all the parts were the same, how could it be a body? As it is, there are many parts, but there is one body. Because, because we, we were, were all baptized by one Holy Spirit, Spirit and, and so we are formed into one body. body. We, we are, are the body of Christ. Christ. Each, Each one of us is, is a part, part of it. His body... That is the church. You don't go to church. You are the church. Y'all could be seated. That's not just a trite statement. That's not just a cool statement. That's not a, qu a quick pity statement that you are the church. That when we realize that this building that we encapsulate this, uh, everything that's going on today is not the church. And we sooner we get that into our, into our modus operandum, into our thinking, into our psyche, the better off we will be and the closer to a biblical expression of the church. The church wasn't man's invention. We didn't come up with it one day and said, hey, we need to create some kind of institution out there uh, to take everybody's time, energy, efforts, resources, whatever. No, it was, a, it was God's invention. It was His plan. It was His design. It was His calling. It was Him saying, leading the authors of the Scripture to say that His body, that is the church. And we can understand it in that order. So that being the case, I'm not the controller. I'm not the, I'm not the guardian. I'm not the, I'm not, I'm, I'm not the owner of the church. Okay. My family may have moved back here 17 years ago to start Grace Point Church, but I'm not even the owner. I have no more authority in this church than anybody else in this church. Martin Luther, who we celebrate, uh, this past week, 500 years uh, since the, uh, I guess, a realignment, a reorganization of the church, a refocusing of the church back to maybe where it was and should have been or, or was for uh, years prior to at that time of the Great Reformation. Luther said this about the church. We are not the church's guardians. If it were up to us, the church would perish before our very eyes and we together with it. But it is, another, it is another who obviously preserves both the church and us. 
Now, the beauty of the church is that it is the body of Christ and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It will not stop us from moving our, our mission forward. It will not crush, uh, uh, we will not be crushed under the weight of, uh, uh, of Satan and his schemes. The church will survive. Now, church expressions come and go. Churches that have certain names on certain addresses in certain locations in certain cities in certain countries, they come and go. But the church itself will forever live on. As we were talking in this study uh, through the book of Colossians, and you can be finding that. We'll be there in a moment. Not the book of Collisions, but if you find something in your index that's something like Collisions, then you can go to Collisions, okay? Uh, Or Colossians will be there in just a moment. But we're talking about a letter that was written, a letter that was written while Paul was in prison for being a Christian, and he's writing a letter out. He wrote about four letters out at the same time, and Colossians was one of those letters. And as he wrote this letter out, it was an encouragement to the church, uh, these believers, this, this, this uh, expression, this local expression of the church in a city named Colossae. Now, and we'll get a little bit more into the history of a moment, but I want us to understand something about Paul. Paul was this pioneering missionary. He was a missionary who would take the gospel to the places where no, the gospel had never gone. He, he, he wanted to build on no other man's foundations. He wanted to go to Spain before he, he died before he because he wanted to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. But at the same time, he was a pioneering missionary. He wasn't a lone ranger doing it alone. He was a disciple maker missionary. He was a maker of disciples. He was a disciple who made disciples. As it says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, it says that you follow me as I follow Christ, or you imitate me as I imitate Christ. This, he was a very proficient and a, an effective disciple maker. In fact, I have been diving for the past two years, really, just reading every time I come to one of Paul's letters, every time I come to a historical narrative that contains Paul, <clears throat> I'm constantly looking, is, is Paul in here? And who is Paul influencing? Because there's one thing that I have come to see about Paul is that he was a person who was a mentor of others, a disciple maker of others. In fact, right now, I've got, a, I've got an open document on my, on my computer, easily accessible, that I will go to on a regular basis. And I'm just keeping a running total as I read through the letters of Paul, 13 letters in the New Testament, as I'm reading through the book of Acts, of all the different people that Paul poured his life into, that he was a mentor-protege or a mentor-mentee relationship. And whenever I'm at, right now, I'm at 28 and counting. And here's a few of the names. A few of those names that, uh, that, that Paul has pulled into, that's like reading a Greek phone book. I mean, I, 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 some of those people, we don't even know who they are. They're mentioned one time, and that's it. Their greetings from, or hey, I'm with, or hey, I'm serving along beside. And, and, and these are the people that Paul is taking his life and pouring his life into that will then take the gospel to the ends of the earth. One of these days, I'm going to do a deep dive because I love history. I'm going to do a deep dive into those names and to pull back whatever little bit granules of history that we can find on each one of those because it's incredible to think of the potential impact of 28 people being discipled by the Apostle Paul. We have no clue of the impact that that level of discipleship can make on planet Earth. But here's a problem. A lot of people, when you talk about, hey, I'm a disciple of Christ, hey, I'm a disciple, their model of discipleship 
is one of sanitation. I am cleaning up my life. I'm a disciple of Christ. And by all means, cleaning up our life, getting our act together is certainly a part of what it means to follow Christ. But sanitation is not the only thing. Transformation is not the only thing. It is also me duplicating myself. Duplication is a part of it. It's a part of being a disciple of Christ. And you see that in the life of, of Paul. In fact, here's a life principle for you that you call <clears throat> to call myself a disciple, but not make disciples is to be a counterfeit. Something is short sight. Something is off. Something's not right. The hardware's malfunctioning. Something is not right in our system when if we think that I can be a disciple and not make disciples in my walk, in my life, where I live, work, learn, and play. Uh, When we talk about this in this series, uh, that that God is trying to make the best you, the best best me, the best best, uh, expression of me, we're going to turn it around today a little bit. We're going to talk about my church and how God is transforming or evolving the we. So there is the me, and God is doing a work in me, but ultimately God is doing a work in we, in all of us. And how does the all of us fit together? Because I know sometimes when I go to the doctor and I'm sick, or I go to the doctor and I need some help, I I, I go because of my problems, okay? Because of my issue, because of my sicknesses. And so sometimes we might come in here and go, well, okay, what's in it for me? Well, here's what I want to turn the, turn the eyes outward a little bit today, okay? Give you a little bit of peripheral vision today. I don't want you to understand it, the message today in the light of me. I want you to see it in the light of we. How do we fit into God's evolutionary work in us? His constantly changing and morphing us. And when that comes back to, it comes back to the church. That is God's expression of his body. That is the we that we are. And that is what, who, who he is making and doing his greatest work in is in the we. Eugene Peterson, in a great classical work. If, you, if you're a reader, get this book and read it. You'll probably have to get it because it's out of print. But it's one of those that you need to grab. It's a long obedience in the same direction. You talk about life going the distance. You talk about life walking with Jesus for a long, all of your life. This book is dealing with it. Eugene Peterson said this, though. Our membership in the church is a corollary of our faith in Christ. We can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not be in a family. It is a part of of the fabric of redemption. You cannot, what he's saying, you cannot separate yourself and say, God is just doing a work on me. It's all about me. I'm just going to take my Bible and sit in a deer stand and I'm just going to read the Bible and that's all, God's just going to work on me. No, no, no. In, In light of the redemption story, he's doing a work in all of us and as he's doing a work in you, he's going to do a work in me. And as he's doing a work in me, guess what? That's going to spill over into you. And he's going to do a work in you. So God's evolutionary work in us is in the we. Let me give you a perfect example of this today. So we're reading from the book of Colossians, okay? So again, hopefully you'll find that. Uh, Eventually we'll be there. But when you think about the story of Colossians, the church of Colossae, okay? What, What do we know about that? We know this. Paul didn't start the church at Colossae. A beautiful story of discipleship plays out here. 
Paul spends three years of his ministry in Ephesus. The largest place, the place he spent longest time more than any other place was in the city of Ephesus. And he used that as a regional place where he would work with people and disciple people and pour into people. There's a guy named Thaddeus who came from a place called Colossae and was discipled, first generation, discipled under Paul. Thaddeus goes back to his hometown and he starts a church in Colossae. And he begins to pour himself into other people. You see three generations happening right here. See what will happen when we are disciples who make disciples? It begins to multiply itself and take on different manifestations. And Colossae was not the only place. Right next to Colossae, just 10 miles further, was a city named Laodicea. Six miles beyond that was the Hycropolis. And you have all these, these, this triad of cities right there being influenced by what happened 200 kilometers away or 100 miles away whenever Paul started discipling a man. So I want to come back to this. I want to talk about Paul today. Not Paul the missionary, Paul the pastor. Because what Paul does is since he had never, he never went to the church of Colossae. As far as we know, he never went there. He, he never saw them face to face. He never saw Laodicea face to face. But yet he has this moral authority to speak into them. And what is this? And what, is, what gives him the moral authority to be able to speak into a people's lives? Because he had spoken to the life of their pastor. And what you see is you see an unfolding of a heart of a pastor in the life of Paul. And so in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, I want us to look at uh, the, these verses. And just follow along as I read. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Uh, he's, in, he's in jail for being a Christian, and so he is in there for their sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Okay? So don't erase the church from your, from your schema or your plan or your, or your paradigm for growth, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, that was given to me for you. Now, notice this next phrase. To make the Word of God fully known. Now, I want to just break that down real quickly here. Because what you see is you see the heart of a pastor here. And the heart of a pastor is not this one of authority and cracking a whip kind of. It is one of a loving, caring individual. Notice the words that he uses here. I or his body, the church. I became a minister. That's the, that's the word di- diakonos, which is where we get the word deacon from. I became a servant. I became a minister according to the stewardship. Now, here's this may be earth-shattering for some of y'all, eye-opening for others, I don't, I don't know. But I may have started this church 17 years ago, but I don't own this church. I don't know how, what your church polity is in your mind or how you think this all thing functions. I serve at the will of the people. I, I'm just a steward of it. I just get to manage it. We have pastors who come along beside me. And let me just tell you this. We have an incredible team of pastors. And you know what we do? We're not the bosses of the church. We're the ministers of the church. 
we are stewards of the church. They, they, they were given to me for you. I'm here to serve you. I, I, want, I want to give all of myself to you. And there is not like I work nine to five and we go, we punch off the clock. Listen, I, I'm constantly living in the family of God. My mind is constantly there. It is not something that I can even turn off on, a, on, on an easy basis. Well, even when I go on vacations, it's like I can't, I'm constantly, constantly thinking. Now, why, why am I saying all this? Why am I talking about me? It's not about me. I just want to identify with Paul. I get what Paul's saying. Paul had never been to Colossae, but yet he has this deep love. Paul had never been to Colossae. He didn't even know him. He hadn't seen him face to face, but yet he feels like he's their minister. He's their pastor. He's their servant. He's stewarding stewarding them. I say all that to say this, that God has put me here. God has put our pastoral team here because we want to see God do amazing things in you. I promise you, I could punch a clock. I promise you, I could make more money doing something else. I promise you, all of our other pastors are skilled and gifted and could do teaching and coaching and and carpentry and and, and build things and do things. But they're not that. They have been called to this. Uh, Leith Anderson, longtime pastor in Minneapolis, said it like this. He said, pastors are expected to be strong leaders at a time when all leadership is suspect, expected to communicate in the skills of Jay Leno, to be socially informed as George Gallup, and to be effective managers as the best Harvard MBAs. There's a lot of pressure there. There's a lot of pressure there. But here's what I believe. I believe with Charles Haddon Spurgeon who himself was a great pastor in England, years, years, years have gone by, suffered from deep depression, from anxiety issues, from lots of internal issues, from external issues as well. He said this. He said, I wouldn't step down from being a pastor to be the king of England. As much as I want to say, and I'm not looking for sympathy, I'm not looking for anything other than this. I want you to hear my heart is right here. My heart is right there with your families. You think, I I don't even know you, Mike. You know, listen, when you hear this message, I hope that you will understand this is my heart. This is our pastor's hearts. And I know I can speak for that because I've been with these people, these men and women, and they absolutely love you. here's, here's, Here's what I want you to hear. Our aspirations are what Paul shares as his aspirations for the church at Colossae today. And so, if you want to know what our goals are, it's this. So jot these down. And just, just this is, what, this is what we're, where we're at, and you can chew on these and let these marinate inside of your heart. Number one, our desire is that you would be saturated with substance and truth. Your life would be saturated from top to bottom, from inside and out, you would have a substantive truth that you can build and grow your life through whatever may come. 
Uh, you give all those horrible, nasty scenarios from doctors and bosses and relationships falling apart that you can put out there. The, what my desire would be is that you would have a substance in this day of relativity, in this day of pluralism, in this day of moral relativism, in this day of we, can, we don't know what truth is, that you would have something that you could build your life on, that you, you, could, you could build a foundation on and move forward. His prayer, Paul's prayer, was that very thing. Robbie Zacharias, guy, uh, Robbie, I, I love listening to him. He, he shared a, about an opportunity that he was speaking in this, uh, the first part of this year. He was speaking to 40,000 college students from 150 different universities, representing 40 countries, all of them 18 to 24 years of age. He asked these students, these 40,000 students, and they were able to collect the data, and he shared it recently. He said, he asked them, what are your two biggest struggles in life? And this is what they said. Number one, how do I deal with the enslavement, with my enslavement to pornography? How do I deal with my enslavement to pornography? This generation that is coming up has so been exposed and so saturated, speak of saturation, so saturated with a sensuality and a perversion of sexuality that this generation coming up behind, there's such a warped sense of what is right and what is good and what is proper. That I, I, you can call me archaic, you can call me old-fashioned or whatever, but this is a generation that literally, I was at the International Mission Board recently in a, in a meeting with John Brady, who's the president or the vice president of all international overseas personnel, and he said this, we no longer ask missionaries when they come for interviews, do you look at porn? We now ask them, when was the last time you look at porn? It is that rampant. And ladies... I know you're probably thinking right now, what about my kids? What about my husband? What about this? What? I, I get it. And it's a very legitimate question. But do you realize this? That the fastest growing now is women being addicted to pornography. That's the number one struggle that these 40,000 college students identified. The second, the number two, was how to resist the urge to kill myself. How to resist the urge to kill myself. Sexuality, sensuality, suicide, the two greatest struggles this generation is dealing with. We have an opportunity to be a church that brings truth that will saturate and change everything. Everything that Paul said he was about was about seeing that Christ would be fully, that they fully understand the gospel. They would fully be transformed. Look with me at, uh, at that passage that we just read. He said, given to me for to make the word of God fully known. Now that word, is, the, the idea of fully known isn't the idea of, hey, you're, you get the A in Bible school, Okay. You, 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 get, you get the valedictorian of your Bible school class. No, 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 no. Fully 
is the idea of saturation of everything that is in you, everything that is a part of you. You are fully aware and God is fully in line with your life. And guys, it's not just students that we need to worry about that are out there. It's the, it's the older man who, who is $85,000 in debt and filing for bankruptcy who walks into a Walmart store this past week and just shoots innocent people. That darkness right there, I think, what is wrong with our culture? It's the man who'll bust out of his window of a hotel room and with his automatic weapon in the streets of Vegas, he will just mow down random people on the street. I'm thinking, what is wrong with our culture? Or it's, it's, it's the guy, Walter Scott, who goes into a Bible study in Charlotte, South Carolina, and he sits in a church, an African-American church, and is welcomed and embraced and made a part of a Bible study, and then walks out, goes to his car, comes back in, and shoots the people who embrace him in a Bible study. I'm thinking, what is wrong with our culture? We need truth. We need to make God fully known in us, fully alive in us, fully transforming us. How does that happen? In this maze, in this chaotic world in which we live. It's a mystery, right? No longer. No longer. Verse 26. For the mystery... And by the way, this is one of Paul's favorite words. 27 times in the, in the New Testament it's used. Matthew, Mark, Luke uh, 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 use it. And then the other 24 times Paul uses it. Hidden for the ages and the generations, but now revealed to, uh, to, to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles and the riches of the glory and the mystery. What's the mystery? The mystery is Christ, which is Christ. That's the mystery. What we need to have in our life is a full awareness and a full saturation of Jesus. In chapter 2, verse 2, he even goes on to say, his, he, he was praying, he wanted for the Colossian believers, he said, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. It, if we are a church... In this community, I would hope, and I hope you hear my heart today, that what I want to see in your life and every other person's life in Northwest Arkansas is a complete, full, saturation, awareness of Jesus Christ, fully and completely. Not a Godhead out here, not somebody you study and learn and you walk away from, but somebody who makes you fully alive and gives you a reason to live. Talk about number two. My desire, my aspiration, our pastoral team's aspirations are this, that you be fully and beautifully transformed. Fully and beautifully transformed. That you be saturated with truth, that you be fully and beautifully transformed, that the work that God wants to do in you and that nobody is left behind. Verse 28, don't miss verse 28. He says, we proclaim everyone, panton, anthropon, is, is, is the word, anthropology, we get, we get the word from that. Everyone, teaching everyone, that we present everyone 
mature in Christ. Now, it was, I think it was George W. Bush who made the policy or wanted to have the, that no child is left behind. Now, if you're a teacher, I know that kind of gives you the cringes and you think about all the ramifications of that, testing, or teaching to test and whatever came out of that. Out of that. But I love the, the mentality that no believer left behind. Everyone, everyone fully growing in their faith. How are they going to do that? How, how, how did Paul do that? He said, I proclaim. I'm teaching. I, I, I'm giving you the truth. I'm giving you. I'm, I'm making sure you get it. Now, now, don't, now, don't get confused. This may be teaching, okay? I, what I'm trying to do may be trying to... But I'm going to tell you right now, as much as I love what I do, as much as I love this right here, this is not changing you. I, I, could, I could talk about all the hours I spend, prayer, prayer. You know, we can talk about all, and critique it. I know you do that when you go home anyway. I didn't get anything out of that or that was sleepy or whatever. You, know, you do that anyway. So, you know, you, we can talk about all that all day long. But here, this is not transforming you. Life change happens best in circles and not in rows. When you're face-to-face across from one another over coffee, and they're asking you the tough questions, and you're asking them the tough questions. You, you hey, and you, you open up your mind and say, hey, you know, I learned this this week. God, man, God's really messing with me on this one. And oh, hey, here's a promise, man. And I read this, and I was thinking of you. But you know what? For that to happen, you got to be in people's lives it, to be fully. Transform beautifully. Transform means you're going to be in people's lives. This was this past weekend. The, the the students got together. The senior high students they got together. They had a retreat, and I asked Wade on Saturday morning, "Wait, how can I how can I pray for the youth? Direct my prayers for the, for the youth." He texted me back a really really quick response, and this is his response: God, for ask God to speak for the students to listen or learn to listen. I'm thinking that's pretty generic. I was wanting something meatier, and then I got to thinking. Learn to listen. You know, if you've been in any relationship at any length of time, you'd know that it takes learning how to listen. If you're married right now and you haven't learned how to listen, you're probably not happily married. Learning how to listen is a skill and an art, and it's constantly changing. So my prayer that day all of a sudden went from, oh, that's a generic prayer, I can pray, to, oh, God, help our students learn to listen to your voice. I I prayed that they would be fully, beautifully transformed and that they would learn to hear your voice. That's just one retreat. We do that with our kids all the time. This, this, This coming February, we're having a couple's retreat. It's what we're calling a couple's checkup retreat. Where literally you're going to get to do an inventory of your marriage and figure out, hey, how healthy are we? Where are we strong? Where are we weak? Where we need to work on? And so forth and so on. And you're going to get to evaluate that. And let me just tell you this. This is kind of like the last weekend to be able to secure your spot. Seriously. Uh, we have to get back all the rooms that we kind of held as a block. You know, if you don't sign up this weekend, it, it, there's no guarantee there's going to be rooms in, in the future. It's going to be a big cedar. But don't get, go, don't get lost in this quick announcement. Get lost in this. Why don't you give your marriage a gift for Christmas? And just evaluate, hey, you know, how are we? And how are, is our marriage 
becoming fully transformed, beautifully transformed to be like Christ wants it to be. You know, where, where was all Paul going with all this? In, 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 in that verse, I love it that he, he goes on and he says this, because he gives us the very purpose for everything. He gives it in kind of this hint of cloth. He says, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We want you to be mature. Listen, this is my heart's desire for you to be mature. What Paul was doing in his teaching and his proclaiming with everyone is hoping and praying that everyone would be mature in Christ. What does that mean? What does that take? I kind of got lost on that word present. I said present. What, what does that uh, concept mean? Because I remember last week talking about the word present. So I went back and I reread the text from the week before. And in Colossians chapter 1, what did Paul say? Verse 22, he said, in order to present you. I thought it was interesting. He's talking about presenting him mature in verse here in, in, this, in this passage this week, in verse 25, and then, he, and then he's talking about in verse 22, he's talking about that you would present them holy and blameless and, and above reproach. What's this word present again? And so then I started doing a word study. I thought, okay, where's the word present show up in other places? And so I found it in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. To present your bodies as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I said, I'm beginning to make sense. This is not just, hey, 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 God, here's my life. No. God wants us holy and blameless. God wants us fully mature. God wants us to present ourselves as living sacrifices, uh, as, as an act of worship. This is a big deal. This is big. This is not just throw yourself up there and say, God, take what's left over. This is everything. And so this is what I'm about. And at the same time, the World Series is going on. And I was caught off guard when Carlos Correa proposes. At the end of the World Series, they're interviewing him about his five home runs in the postseason and how good of a player he played and how he, how he plays. And he says he's going to cut the interview short. And he, he turns around and he proposes to this girl. I mean, guys, top that. Millions of people watching you. I mean, well, well I, I, I literally I thought, what would you have done if you lost? Oh, here's your ring. Yeah. Will you have me? Yeah, I'm a loser. You know, no, he's, he's the World Series champion. I mean, she's got to say yes. And Miss Texas uh, says yes. And she's going to be his wife. And, and I thought, man... Nobody can top millions of people watching in the presentation of an engagement ring. Think about Jesus and what he's wanting to do in your life. He's wanting to present you to the Father. Holy, blameless, above reproach. Paul's saying, I want to present you to the Father, mature, Paul is saying in Romans 12, hey, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Listen, God wants to do some incredible things in your life. Beautiful things in your life. Don't just throw your life up there. 
What does this take, this transformative discipleship? It's going to take an intensity about it. There's an intensity because yeah, that's, in, that's in verse 20, uh, um, verse 28. Uh, he would present everyone teaching and everyone wisdom and everyone uh, the mature in Christ. And then he goes on in verse 29. He says, for this I toil, struggling all with all his energy that, that he powerfully works within me. Paul said, I'm giving it my all. I'm toiling. I'm struggling. This is what I'm about. This is everything that I'm about. I'm giving it my all. I thought those words toil and struggle were so unique, and so I dove into those words. The word toil is actually a, a word that would be used in in the first century for physical exertion as if you were uh, a, a farmer plowing up a field, toiling in the field, getting rid of the rocks, making beautiful rows so you can plant and have a harvest. Toiling. The word struggling is actually a word used different. Sounds the same. Toiling, struggling. Different. It actually means to to struggle for fitness, to struggle to win in the games. So it gives the picture of an athlete. And this is the way uh, John Stott, he summarized it. He said, both conjure up the vision of rippling muscles in pouring sweat. But what Paul was saying is, I'm giving it my all. I'm sweating. I'm extending muscle. I am in this. This discipleship thing, it's intense. Let me also say this. It's also intentional. You do it on purpose. You don't live the life of a disciple on accident. It's something you set your heart and your mind to. We've been talking about for several weeks this Intentional discipleship plan. It's online. You can fill it out and immediately email it to your accountability people. You can take a hard copy and write it out. Whatever. I don't care. It's your faith. But here's what I'll make a commitment to you on. You have a pastor. And you have a pastoral team. And you have deacons. And you have small group leaders. That we are toiling and we are struggling and we are going to fight and we are going to push and we are going to pull because we want to see you presented fully mature. But if you do this, not interested, no thank you, I'm just here to consume, there's not a thing in the world we can do about it. To be a disciple of Christ is all in, all out, all the time. It's intense. It's intentional. But you will be beautifully transformed. Number three. These, I can't emphasize this enough, these are the aspirations of your pastor. We aspire to see your life fully saturated in truth. We aspire to see your life beautifully and fully transformed. 
Lastly, we aspire to see you woven into the fabric of biblical community. Here's what you've got to get in your mind. You can't do this alone. You will be chewed up and spit out in this world. And let me say this, you weren't made to do it alone, to do this faith, to do this walk with God thing. You weren't made to do it alone. You have to be a part of it. Notice what Paul said in in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle, again, he comes back and uses the same word, I have for you and for those in, at Laodicea. Now notice this. He hadn't been to Laodicea. He hadn't been to Colossae. He hadn't been to the Hierapolis. He hasn't been there. And for all those who have not seen me face to face. This is what his struggling and his desire is. Is that their hearts may be encouraged. Being knit together in love being knit, woven together in love. I thought, what a beautiful picture, being knit, woven together. So what I do, I do a word study on the word knit. Not crochet, knit, things like that. It actually means something far more intrinsic, far more connected. You take a piece of cloth and material, you can pull it apart thread by thread, fairly easy. But actually the word here is actually joints and bones locked in, 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 in together, held together by, by, by ligaments, held together by muscle. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, he uses the same phrase. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul said the same thing here in Ephesians that he said back in Colossians, just far more expanded. I want you knit together in love, he said in Colossians. In Ephesians, he says, I want you joined, held together, every joint, everything fitting together, working properly, makes the body grow and builds itself up in love. When we are in a biblical community, authentic brothers and sisters with each other, beautiful things can happen. If you isolate yourself, if you focus on the me and don't learn the value of the we, when, not if, when life crashes on you, you will be alone. I will make the commitment to you. You make it to me. I will be all here for you. I'll be all here for you. Will you be all here for me? You're going, Michael, does that mean I don't even know you? You don't know me. I will be as here for you as you will be here for me. And I can tell you that about every other pastor in this room. I can tell you about that about every deacon in our church. I can tell you that about our trustees and I can tell you that about those people who are all in, all out, all the time. Keller, Tim Keller said it in his book, Center Church. He said, the chief way in which we should disciple people is through community. Growth in grace, wisdom, character does not happen primarily in classes or instruction or through large worship gatherings like we're doing here or even in solitude. Most often, growth happens 
for deep relationships and in communities where the implications of the gospel are worked out cognitively and worked in practically in ways no other setting or venue can afford. We exist, as Grace Point Church we say, we exist to promote transformative community with one another. I can't make it happen, but I can say this. We're going to do everything in our power. It's going to be the aspiration of our hearts. It's going to be in the plans that that we calendar. It's going to be in the budgets that we budget. It's going to be in the lives that we live. That we're going to do everything we can in our power as a team to promote in Grace Point a transformative community. Do you want to be a part of that? you got to think about it. Or do you just want to sit back and observe and consume? My desire, my aspirations for you is life transformation, is life saturated in truth, and being a part of a biblical community. Let me close by telling you a true story of one of our groups. A men's group meets at 6 a.m. on Thursday mornings, every Thursday morning, rain, shine, sleet or snow. I, every time I come at that hour, they're here having coffee and donuts. I mean, it's the breakfast of every man, all right? And uh, Don Marley told me this story just a few weeks ago. They took the IDP, the Intentional Discipleship Plan. And they intended on, on that day, Don, Don and Brian Martin are, are the leaders of this men's group, and they, they intended on that day to cover the whole IDP in one setting with all the men and just move on. Because really what it is, it's just four basic questions or four different sections basically taking our definition of discipleship and breaking it down. Am I becoming fully obedient, multiplier, following Jesus? And just breaking that down. And that's all they were going to do. They were going to do it all in one day. But Don said... We couldn't get past the word becoming. We got stuck. And then it was one week we were going to just take care of one, and the next week we were going to take care of another. And every man in that group shared their life, their deficiencies, their weaknesses, where they were growing and where they weren't growing. And they made a pack with one another. Because they all noticed that there's one area, and I'll not mention it because that's their, that's their group's confidentiality. They noticed that there was one area of their, of their lives that was missing. And they made a commitment to one another, a pact with one another, that they're going to work on that one area together. They will do it because they're doing it together. They will do it because they're saturating themselves in truth. They will do it, I believe, with all my heart because they're being transformed. You know, it's easy to come in a room and sit in rows and listen to me. That's not going to change your life. Sitting in circles, giving your life as others give their life, that leads to life transformation. That leads to you presenting yourself before God, holy and acceptable, blameless, and above reproach. I want you to do something here. In this room, as you said in rows, I want you to look around the room. I want you to find the first person, and I don't know how God's going to do this, but the first person that you just have a little spark 
I need to pray for that person. I don't know what's going on in their life. You might know what's going on in their life. You may look at that person, oh, I know, I know what's going on. I need to pray for them. I want you to look around the room, and I want you to find that person. Because right now you're looking at the back of a lot of heads. And what we need to do if we are a community, if we're family, an authentic family, we need to look past the back of their heads and look into their hearts and get real and personal. I just saw who I'm going to pray for. Who are you going to pray for? I want to pray for us right now, and then I'm going to give you some time to voice your own prayer for that person that God lays on your heart. Father, don't let us settle for mediocrity. Don't let us be consumers of the faith and not contributors. God, in these moments, feel and I identify with Paul in so many ways to say that God I I want I want I want, I want your truth to be fully alive in everyone in here God I, I, I want to see everyone presented to you God mature in the faith Christ. Lord, Lord, I want, to, I want to be knit with these people. I want them to be, want to be knit with me. I want us to be one, Lord. I can't make it happen. I don't have a magic wand, and I, and I can't force myself on them. God, would you make us one? Would you join us together and make us one? Lord, it as you laid on our hearts somebody in this room right now to pray for. Would you hear our prayer?